You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 21. Ainsley back from the surgery. She's here this morning. God bless you. And so excited about, much to rejoice for. Um, yesterday, Kim and I had the opportunity to spend a number of hours with the Hoffman family. We've been praying for them. We've been praying for baby Colette. She's been in our heart and prayers for almost two years now. I mean, back in August at her birth, shortly after that. And uh, they wanted to extend their gratitude, their love for our church, for your prayers, for your kindness. Um, it has been a blessing to them. And it was, a, it was a, a sad day for us, to be honest with you. And we knew that as we talked with them, that the next time we saw one another, our lives would be different. And they know that. They're going to lose a granddaughter soon. And yet, they said, we're okay. We're okay. It's God's amazing grace. And we thank God for it this morning. And I did not know this, but Colette's name means victorious, which is the truth. She will be victorious. And so I I tell you those things because I had Sunday school class this morning. I have no idea what I said. Honestly, I was everywhere, all over the place. And so I have a sense, um, just buckle up. All right, because I don't know, I don't know where we're going, I don't know what we're doing, but we're going to make our way through if we can. Uh, We are in 2 Kings chapter 21, and the title of the message is uh, The Point of No Return, right, which I think is appropriate. We will actually end the book of 2 Kings today, will be the last day of our study. We've been in the book of Kings, first and second, I don't know, two years, maybe, a long time. I know there's several chapters left, I think four, goes to verse 20, chapter 25, but I want to wrap it up this morning. Next week will be communion, and then we'll start a new study, and I want to encourage all of you to be here, to be faithful. We'll be talking about a healthy church and what's that, what that means, what that looks like for about ah, 12 weeks, and then we'll move to the book of Hebrews. So just be aware, you'll hear more about that, but that's where we're going. So today, what I'd like to do is, I'd like to um, sum up where we've been so far to give you some reminders, and then we'll end on the story of Manasseh, and you'll understand why we're going to talk this morning about the point of no return. It's important to remember that the book of Kings, 2 Kings, 1st and 2 Kings, was written um, for a people that as they read the stories that we have been reading, for some of them, they're 300 years removed because they have now been taken into captivity. Everything that they're reading, that they're reading, has already happened, and now they are sitting in Babylon because of, them, of, the, of the nation turning from God. So remember, as we read 2 Kings, it is being written to a people who now must reflect, and now must repent, and now are asking how we got here. And the answer to that is not complicated. They got their one bad decision at a time. And so, 
this book um, is very applicable for us today. Let me just review maybe several lessons that we have or that have been in the background of this book that I think are worth mentioning this morning. Um, Number one, we have seen through our study that this is a book of people who were unwilling to hear. Unwilling to hear. God had sent prophet. God had sent deliverance. He he had sent relief to them, and they would not hear. And they are continually instructed over and over again, hey, hey, remember what God said. Remember his word. Remember the past. And, And they just didn't. They were unwilling to hear, unwilling to learn. But my friend, listen to me. For us this morning, we need continuous instruction. We do need line upon line, precept upon precept, because we forget. We forget. And the truth is, it is, it is by the hearing of instruction that we become true disciples of Jesus Christ. They were unwilling to learn and hear. Not only that, um, we're reminded as we look through this story that we don't have to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors or our parents or the dysfunction that we come from. We see it in the story of kings. There's a king who's horrible. We'll find one today. He's the worst. But there are also sons that are born that are not like their fathers. They are godly men. There is a vast difference between disposition and necessity. We're predisposed to a lot of sin, a lot of weakness, just the way that we are, where we grow up and what we've experienced. And the truth is, I am predisposed to weakness and sin. I know this, you find this very hard and difficult to believe, that I'm not quite perfect, but there are things in my life that I know I am predisposed to. I am predisposed to anger. Really. Uh, and I, I come by it naturally. My dad, I love him. He's a good man. He's mellowed now in his 70s, right? We all do, I think. But my dad was an angry man, angry, outburst. And I know that that is in me. I, I know that I am predisposed to be angry. It, it's, it's there. It's natural. I am predisposed to impatience. Sunday drivers on Monday? No. No, no, we have places to go. I don't care if you can't see over the dashboard, old lady, move out of the way. And I know this about me. I am predisposed to sarcasm, sarcasm, believe it or not, right? And and I know this, but the truth is we can be predisposed to any sin, but it is not a valid excuse to engage in that sin. Ever. Why? Because of the power of the gospel. I don't have to be what I once was. Nor do you. And we can bring our dysfunction into the body of Christ, but the idea is that God loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. And so, you know this, if you're born again this morning, that you and I were saved. We were saved from the penalty of our sin that we were saved. But God's not done. The truth is, he is in the process of saving us. 
and saving us from ourselves. From our natural bents and tendencies. And eventually, we will be ultimately saved in his presence. Listen, we are a new creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. So, we don't have to repeat our ancestors' mistakes. Number three, it takes a great deal to cause a patient God to punish. Man, in this study, it's like over and over and over again. Bad decision, sin, rebellion, thumbing their nose at God, and still patient, still withholding wrath and punishment on a people who deserve it. It takes a great deal to cause a patient God to punish. They were a wicked people. And eventually, each forfeiture led to the ultimate loss, but it took a long time to get there. And listen, this morning, we as God's people should glory in the fact that he is long-suffering. And if you think of him as just waiting to bring the hammer down, you don't know him. Because that's not him. He is loving and kind, and he is long-suffering with who? With you and with me. And we see that in the book. And then finally, as we've gone through 2 Kings, we're reminded what truly pleases God. Over and over again, we see that the kings who are faithful to his covenant, faithful to their God, faithful to the word, are pleasing to him. And it's the same for us. As we're faithful to our God, as we're faithful to his word, as we're faithful to his church, we do please him. And and we see that over and over again in the book. Now, we come to the story of Manasseh, 2 Kings chapter 21. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hebzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove, as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served him. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and observe times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He, he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set up graven images of the grove that he had made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they would observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded them. But they hearkened not. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake by his servant, the prophet, saying, 
Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations and hath done wickedly above all that the Ammonites, the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing much evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever uh, hears of it, both his ears shall tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies. Because they have done that which was evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even unto this day, moreover Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin that he sinned, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? This is the story of Manasseh. And there's a mystery here that here's an evil man who reigns for 55 years. It doesn't make sense. And if we were to grade Manasseh this morning, I don't know if we could even find a grade to describe how bad he was. When I was in school, now we're going back eons of time, uh, the lowest grade you could get was an F, which meant you failed. Now, I know today it's not good to, to fail children in anything, to give them trophies for everything, that everyone's a winner, and we would never do that today because that could actually prepare them for the real world, where they will fail, right? But that's another topic. But, but Manasseh doesn't even deserve an F. Right? It's like the, the kid at, at university who came to his teacher and said, listen, I'm really upset with the low grade that you gave me. And the professor chimed in quickly and said, I know, you're right. The student was surprised. He said, but unfortunately, this institution doesn't allow me to give you a lower grade than that. <laughs> this is Manasseh. The truth is, this is the southern kingdom This is Judah, where eight out of the 19 kings were godly kings. And he's the worst. He's worse than the house of Ahab. So, here's what he does. He wipes out all the reforms that his his father, Hezekiah, the good godly king, brought into being. In verses 2 to 7, he completely reverses everything. Then... He exponentially increases wickedness. Listen to what he does. He builds the high places. He reinstates the the altar of Balaam. Um, He worships the host of heaven, like daily going to his horoscope, which we don't worship the stars. We worship the maker of the stars, right, just so that you know. But Hezekiah is getting the paper. What's the horoscope say? He defiles the temple. He brings idols within. He gets fortune tellers. Like that, that lady, the Long, Long Island medium. Ever see her? B- 
big hair, bad accent, didn't even know her own divorce was coming, right? Um, Fortune tellers. Fortune tellers. And then he sends his kids through the fire. Through the fire. They're sacrificed to the gods that he is trying to please. And I have to wonder, if you and I are, were living in the days of Hezekiah, the godly king, and we saw the reforms, and we saw the, the spiritual revival, and we saw the nation turning back to God, and then Hezekiah dies, and Manasseh comes, and, and we have the privilege of living a long, long life, and now for 55 years, he is ruining everything. I, I would think, for me anyways, it would be like, God, what are you doing? Why would you let this man continue to reign? This is a real mystery. And we must be honest this morning, there are real mysteries in life. We know that, right? Like, I don't know where socks go in the dryer. That, that's a mystery. I, I don't understand. I don't know how it is when you're 50 years old that you can actually gain weight by looking at food. It happens. Kim thinks I'm a closet eater. I'm not a closet eater. I don't eat in the closet. I eat everywhere else. But, but how, it's like, wait, how do these things happen? And the truth is, in our lives, if we're honest this morning, there are real mysteries. We look around. If you've been on this planet long enough, you know, and if you're thinking, there are things that's like, God, that doesn't make sense. For instance, Joseph Smith, right, the founder of Mormonism, 60 residents in New York who knew him certified that he was destitute of moral character. 60 people said, this guy is a fraud. His Book of Mormon that he wrote has been proven false on every level. Where he says things were, the animals that were there, the plant life, it's, it's been proven false. And yet today, 10 million Latter-day Saints who are following that lie and that cult. And you think, God, why? We have others who have faith that's beyond even our imagination when we can say that there are 100,000 billion complex cells in this body, that there are 124 million rod-shaped cells that help our eyes discern between light and darkness. It's amazing that the human heart will pump today or beat 100,000 times today and pump 80,000 miles of blood through veins and blood vessels. And yet a man like Stephen J. Gould can say, this is a glorious cosmic accident. Wow. What faith it takes. That's a mystery to me. And then we have mysteries that we deal with every day. Why does a little girl have cancer? Why does a tumor return? Why? And the truth of the matter is we do not know. And we've got to be honest in our lives, my friend. We do not have all the answers. Biblical clarity doesn't eliminate life's puzzles. There are real puzzles out there. And some of you are facing them. As a church, we face them, and we don't know why. 
The scripture that was read today, his ways are not my ways. But Hezekiah's reforms were ruined by his son, Manasseh. A mystery. After all that he had braced over 55 years, but I think even more of a mystery is the tragedy of what Manasseh abandoned. And we get an idea of this. Look at chapter 21, verse 7. He tells us that he set graven images up in the house of the Lord. And watch what's said here. Which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. The real tragedy is not just what he embraced, but what Manasseh abandoned. His father was Hezekiah. I mean, that's that's enough there to see Hezekiah and his love for the Lord. But the writer makes mention here that he has abandoned the place where God put his name. When you read the Bible and you see that phrase, what, what that name of God is, it's God himself. God's manifest presence. Everything he's revealed about himself, Manasseh says, don't care, not interested, I'm turning from all of that. Everything. And listen how gracious this God is. He says, where my name is, in my temple, my people will never wander again. I will give you True peace. I will give you true security. I am everything that you could ever imagine that you need. It is me, the great I am. In his temple, atonement is provided, which means for God's people, no guilt, no shame. There is cleansing for them. It's a place of prayer that they could go to the house of God and know that his ear is turned toward them. And yet Manasseh says, don't care. Don't want it. Not interested in it. He cut himself off at the legs. Isn't it amazing, even for God's people, that we have this concept as if we are missing out on something and we're in this pursuit of happiness? There's an old Chinese proverb. I mentioned a little bit of it this morning. But it says, uh, if you want to be happy. Now, I'm not condoning what's written on here. I just want you to, to hear it. But this is a Chinese proverb. If you want to be happy for one hour, get drunk. One hour. And you're sick after that, and it's terrible. And we don't condone drunkenness. Don't go home and say, Pastor said, if you want to be happy for an hour, go get drunk. I did not say that. This is recorded. I said this is a Chinese proverb that we don't agree with. If you want to be happy for three days, get married. Yeah, that's a slam. I mean, that's... Eight days, kill your pig and eat it. That might be good, right? Our pig farmers are like, yes. And they say, if you want to be happy forever, become a gardener. And I think people who are creative understand that. But here's the problem. Believer, none of those things can ever satisfy your soul like the living Christ, who is the water of life. 
that you can never drink to the bottom of his fullness and his riches, riches and his beauty and his glory. And this is exactly what Manasseh turned his back from. And this is what people do today and even in the church when we think that there's something more. There is nothing more. He is all in all. It is Christ. He is the, the radiance of God. He is everything. Everything. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. He says that, God, you, you make known the path of life. Abundant life. Real life. That you, in your presence, is fullness of joy. Not temporary. Not a little bit. But overflowing with joy. And, at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. My friend, listen to me. The greatest single privilege that a Christian has this morning is knowing God. St. Clair Ferguson says, and he's right, and that is our privilege. And Manasseh abandoned it. Believer, don't abandon it. Because whatever you run for to fill up and to, to, to slake your thirst and to quench your desires, it's like a mouthful of sand. It will never do it. It is Christ. Now verses 10 through 16 of our text, judgment falls. Manasseh is the worst. And now judgment falls. And I know this is where some of you now want to check out. Because once you say judgment in church, it's like, oh, hellfire brimstone. No, no, no. God is a God of love. And that statement is correct. God is a God of love. We have a meeting that we, we have every Thursday morning. Some men gather together. We read the word. We pray. We hold each other accountable. We're in Matthew 18. Um, just this last week. And Matthew 18 is, is a chapter that is so sweet about the God that we serve. It's a chapter that he starts talking about little ones. And the little ones, first is a child that Jesus sits on his lap and he says, unless you become like this little one, which is tender and kind, and, and Jesus holding this child, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. But then the phrases change to where the little ones are us. That when God looks at us like children, little, sweet children, he goes on to talk about a God who is so concerned with the individual that he will leave 90 and 9 and go after one. Say, no, you're mine. I'm going to bring you home. And then there's rejoicing that, that not just with others, but in the presence of the angels, God is rejoicing. And at the very end of that chapter, we see compassion and forgiveness where God himself says, you have sinned against me a zillion billion times. You owe a debt you can never imagine, but in love and compassion, I will forgive you. It's full of love. And as we were going through the chapter, one of the guys um, said, I'm amazed... Not just the love, but how brutal this chapter is. That's the same chapter that says, if you offend one of these little ones, it's better to take a millstone, tie it around your neck, and cast you into the ocean. Uh, that's, uh, that's really mean. He goes on to say in that chapter about everlasting fire. He says, hellfire in that chapter. And he says, 
wrath. And you say, well, is God schizophrenic? And he's not. You better be careful now. Listen to me. For those of you who just sort of tune out now with judgment, Augustine said, if you, if you like, if you believe the Gospels for what you like and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospels you believe, but yourself. This morning, listen to me. It doesn't matter what I think God to be. It matters what he said he is because he's revealed himself. And doesn't it make sense? Listen to me. You know, gardening. How many folks are gardeners? You, you love gardening. You're like the Chinese guy, like, this is happiness, all right? Right? Some of you. Some of you are probably terrible at it. But, but you like it. If you're a gardener, do you, you love your garden, right? You love to see everything flourish and come up and to harvest. It's wonderful. Do you also love weeds? No. How cruel. How unkind. Do you... Are you having a problem with your personality? I mean, you love the garden and you hate the weeds? Um, if you love your chickens, which I do. Um, I do have chickens. I have 48 of them right now. And I'm getting more, right, Nick? How many more? 100? Oh, okay, thank you. 100. Kim, 100. No, all right. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Right? If you love your chickens, you can't love the fox or the raccoon or barn cats when the chickens are too small. You cannot truly love without hating that which will destroy. We know this. And God knows that all sin destroys. You can play games and act like it doesn't. I've been at this long enough to see it always kills. Everything. It does. And so here comes the judgment. Ears tingle. The the judgment is so bad that when people hear what's going to happen to Israel, God's people who have turned their back, and now Manasseh has come to that point of no return, it says that when they hear this, their ears will tingle. There will be an adverse physical reaction. It is inevitable. It will be total, like a dish with a rag turning it all over the place. They will be abandoned and helpless. So here is Manasseh, the king of Judah, 55 years, and he leaves a legacy. And here's his legacy. Look at verse 17 of chapter 21. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did, and we're used to hearing that. We hear that all the time. But now watch this phrase. And his sin that he sinned. Manasseh has taken a long-suffering, patient God, and he's crossed a line now that cannot go back. Do you know that since 2011, 250 people have died from taking selfies? And some of you are thinking, yeah, those women and their selfies. No, 72% of them are men. Are men. Because men are stupid. That's why our insurance is higher. Don't, right? And you know that they die, the majority die from drowning, believe it or not. And then the next largest group is from 
falling. Because what they've done is, for this selfie and this picture, they want to be at the edge, right, of the rock, the cliff, the building, to get that shot so I can post it and have people like it. The problem is, they get past the point of no return. These are young kids losing their lives for a picture. Listen to Shakespeare. He says, There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. Manasseh didn't see it, but he crossed it, and he was done. Because there comes a point when the long-suffering, kindness, goodness of God says, Enough! Enough! Listen to me. There are folks here this morning, you're lost. Like, yeah, I was trying to get to St. Agnes this morning, now I'm at Maple City Baptist Church. You're right, I'm lost. No, not like that. You're lost. You are without Christ. You have never been born again. And you might be a good person. You might be a religious person. You might be self-confident in who you are and where you're going. But my friend, listen to me. There is no other way to heaven but by humbling yourself, repenting, and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, you can sit and you can hear over and over again His love, His mercy, His compassion, the cross, that on the cross He suffered your sin, my sin, the wrath of God poured on His head. He did it for you. And you hear that and you think you're okay. You're not okay. Because there's one thing that the gospel does not do. And that's nothing. The gospel will either attract or repel. You should get upset years ago that people would leave the church when we start preaching about things. And then I realized that's the nature of the gospel. You tell truth and it will attract people and others will be repelled by it. That's what the gospel does. And not only that, the gospel not only does that, but the gospel will either break a heart or harden a heart. And my fear for some of the folks in this room, under this ministry, is that there is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. That's why today is the day of salvation. You you don't know where the line, there, there is coming a day when the Spirit of God will quit You will grieve him. You will sear your conscience or you will die. Today is the day. And believer, listen to me. For us, there is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. We as believers who don't understand the beauty and joy of Christ are always going to the edge and going as far as we can to get away with as much as we can. And that, my friend, is a problem because God loves you too much that he, he must chastise you. 
Because he knows the line, you don't want to cross it. We go to Guatemala every year we go. And one of the trips that we do when we're there with, done with the mission is we'll take uh, a trip on a volcano. They, there are several active volcanoes in Guatemala, and it's really a fascinating trip. And one year I was there with my two boys, um, Gregory and David. And so we're on this volcano, and, and there was a portion where it, it wasn't a cliff, but it was sort of an embankment that was a long drop. I mean, long. It wasn't like, ah, but it was like, yeah, you tumble down for like five hours and be hurting, all right? And so I'm there, the boys are there, and so here's the edge, and I'm going like, oh, that's really interesting, looking around. And both my boys, like their mother, who wasn't there, came over and said, Dad, Dad, get away from the edge, right? And they're grabbing me, and I said, I'm okay. And, I go, and, they're, and, they're, and now they're getting nervous. And I'm like, hey, I'm a man. If I want to die, I'm going to die, right? Just, but the idea was, you're a fool, right? Why in the world would you take yourself to the edge? Believer, are we so foolish? That, that, I know, my heart's prone to wander. Yours is prone to wander. And the reason we wander is because we don't know our Savior like we ought to. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. And his goodness leads me to repentance. Be careful. Be careful. And finally this morning, let me close with this thought. Because this is not the end of the story for Manasseh. If you did your reading this week, Second Chronicles, let's look there together. And we won't read the whole thing, but we'll start at verse number 11 this morning. Verse number 11 says, Wherefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him by God. God entreated. God listened and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem unto his kingdom, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And it goes on there. This is an amazing thing. The most wicked king in Israel repents. And and, and what's amazing is God actually hears him and delivers him. But did you notice that 2 Kings never mentions it? It's not there. He dies, his sin that he sinned, his legacy that he leaves, is not mentioned. And there's reasons for that. The book of Kings is written to a group of people who just went into captivity. He wants them to reflect, this is how you got here, repent of these things. So the stories are, look what happened, this is why we're here. But 2 Chronicles is written to a group of people who now have gone through the Babylonian captivity. They're now going back into the land. And so Chronicles presents the kings as, hey, This is the line of David. We want to strengthen you. We want to encourage you. Follow the temple. Follow the sacrifices. Go to the Lord and repent. So there's a different view. But I I submit to you this morning that there's another reason why his conversion is not mentioned in 2 Kings. And hear me out. Because his repentance did not make a difference. Now, just listen. The writer of Kings mentions Ahab. Ahab repented. It's like, oh my goodness, Ahab repents. But doesn't mention 
Manasseh, yes, it is better to repent than not repent. Absolutely. Yes, it is better to seek uh, to undo the damage that you've done. Absolutely. But for this man, for all of these years, the disaster was inflicted. The well was poisoned. There was no impact left. He had wasted his life. And his son Amnon, Ammon comes next. He's just as wicked as his father. A healthy spiritual legacy seldom flows from a late and sudden conversion. You're going to leave a legacy to your kids, to your grandkids, to other believers. That legacy doesn't come because at the end of your life, after all the junk that you did and how you turned from God and you were not serious about your faith and all of a sudden you get the light and you see it and now you're going to be serious, that, that's not how we leave a legacy of godliness. It comes with a long practice of attractive holiness. A long practice. Hezekiah showed his son, but his son blew it and did not repent. My friend, listen to me. What are you living for? And I'm serious this morning. What are we living for? Some of us, we are cruising in this life, or we're getting to the edge, and we're playing games, and before you know it, you're 50. And before you know it, you got grandkids. And before you know it, they're getting married. And before you know it, you're gone. You're gone. And too many of us, we're sitting back thinking that someday, I think I might just get serious about this thing. And I'm telling you, Manasseh, man, he repented. God accepted his repentance, but the well was already poisoned. The damage was done. People's lives were destroyed. Listen to me, where God has placed you, at the age that you're at now, serve him, love him, seek his face, be attractive for the gospel's sake. And I'm not, you know what I mean by attractive. I mean, make the gospel look good because you're in communication with him. Well, pastor, I'm 80 now. I think I've blown it. Well then, at 80, start living the right way and redeem what you have left. God's not done. If you're 80 and you're still here, God has a plan for you. But if you're in your 20s and you're messing around, I'm here to tell you, stop it. Stop it. Well, isn't God kind? Isn't God good? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you and I have a responsibility to live a life that pleases him. Francis Chan said this. He said, we should not fear failure, but we should fear succeeding at things that do not matter. And we're doing a bunch of stuff as believers, that just doesn't matter. And so, as we talk about Manasseh and his point of no return, may we open our eyes and say, Oh God, open my eyes. Help me to see clearly. Keep me bound to your heart. Keep me coming back to you. Keep me walking in your path. And help me to live a life that's attractive to where I do leave a legacy not, oh, at the end of his life, blood is candle, candle the face of God. And he's, yeah. No, no, that I tried to do my best for those that come behind me to see that it is worth it all. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.